You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. Good evening, good evening. Thank you so much for joining me. Again, you are listening to the Manifesting God podcast, and I am your host, Prophetess Marie Elizabeth. Again, I want to thank you for joining me. I don't want to just pause a moment and say thank you to my iHeart listeners, Pandora, those who are listening on the Podbean app, those who are listening in YouTube. Thank you so much for joining me. I don't take your time lightly, and I hope that I say something that will confirm that which God is is speaking to you in your life because the goal is simply to manifest the promises of God in your life, in your life. And now listen, last week, last week we talked about hope deferred and we talked about healing the sick heart, healing the sick heart. And if you recall, we talked about some things that the sick heart, it lacks understanding. It establishes its own righteousness because its belief system is corrupted. It is not aware of the pitfalls. So leaders, leaders must uh, be, be, give the entire word and the proper context and the people of God, they must seek to understand God's word, understanding, be clear now, <clears throat> Satan fights God's word. He twists the understanding of what has been learned. And if you are reading your word and if you understand it in its full context, you can avoid the pitfalls that Satan may set for you along that same theme. Tonight, we want to be clear of what is actually being understood. What are we really comprehending? You see, a sick heart, as we learned last week, suffers due to a lack of understanding. It is all about how we perceive. What we perceive affects what we understand. Just as what is believed to be seen may not actually be happening. How many of you have ever been in a predicament where what you thought was happening, you found out at the end of it all, that absolutely was not the case. That absolutely was not what was happening. Your perception of what was happening was flawed because you were in it. You were in the middle of it. You were in the throes of it. So your perception, your perception of what was happening to you was not clear. And because your perception was not clear, you reacted in a way that the situation did not warrant. You reacted in a way the situation did not warrant. And sometimes you had to issue an apology afterwards because you moved too fast. You didn't stay still long enough and keep your mouth closed long enough, long enough, your mouth closed long enough long enough to actually allow, actually allow God through the situation to show you what was 
actually happening, what was actually going on. You didn't even give God a chance to show you himself in the situation. You just immediately jumped to defend yourself. You just immediately jumped to defend your way of thinking, to defend your thought process, to defend your circumstances, to defend your past experiences and use them as an excuse to define what was happening in your now what was happening in your now. So let's talk about that a little bit today. I want to talk to you today about misconceived motives. I want to talk to you again about misconceived motives. And see, if we understand, we if we understand what we perceive, then we know that that can drive the why of why we do what we do. Sometimes we're doing what we're doing out of a misunderstanding. We're doing what's motivating us is what we believe we understand, but that's not even the case. What motivated our response is what we thought was the case, but that's not even it. That's not even it. For that, let's go to Job. Let's go to Job 19 and 1. And I'm starting here because this is where 19 and 1 begins after um, Job's friends had spoken. And now Job is starting to speak. Now Job is talking. And in Job 19, 1, it says, then Job replied, Verse two, how long will you torment me and crush me with words? 10 times now, verse three says, you have reproached me. Shamelessly, you attack me. If it is true, verse four says, that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. Verse five says, indeed, you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me. Verse six, then know that God has wronged me and drawn me, drawn his net around me. Verse seven, though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. This is Job now. He's talking about what he believes is happening in his situation. Verse 8 says, he has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He's talking about God. He has shrouded my path in darkness. Verse 9, he has stripped me of my honor and remove the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I'm gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger, it burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build an, a siege ramp against me, Job is saying, and encamp around my 10, verse 13, he has alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. Verse 14, my relatives, they're gone. My closest friends, they've forgotten me. They've abandoned me. Verse 15, my guests and my female servants, they count me a foreigner. They look at me as on a stranger. They don't know me. Verse 16 says, I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. Now the servants, he, Job is saying, they, even they disrespect me. 
Even they disrespect me. Verse 17 says, my breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Job is describing here an outcast. I am an outcast to my own family. Verse 18, even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. She's saying the younger generations, they don't even respect me. So my servants don't respect me. My family doesn't respect me. The younger generation doesn't respect me. Verse 19, all my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. Verse 20, I am nothing. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends, he says, for the hand of God has struck me. God, in fact, in fact, had not touched him. Verse 22, why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Now he's telling God, telling them, God, God is pursuing me. God, God has, God has struck me down. Verse 23, oh, that my words were recorded. Indeed they are. We're reading them today that they were written on a scroll. He may regret that. Verse 24, that they were inscribed with an iron tool or lead or engraved on a rock forever. This is what Job thought was happening to him. And indeed, he was in the middle of it, experiencing it. He was experiencing his friends turn away from him, his family turn away from him, his servants not respect him. He was indeed in it. He was in it, but he spoke from a place of ignorance because he did not understand the why. I often wonder what would have happened had Job not opened his mouth. See, Job thought he thought that God had struck him down. But in fact, what really happened was Job was being considered. And for him to be considered, the hedge had to be removed. Job 1 and 7 says, how do I know this? Job 1 and 7 says, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one in the earth like him. He is blameless. He is upright. He is a man who fears God and shuns evil. Verse 9 says, does Job, this is Satan talking, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you, have you not put a hedge around him? In other words, he said, he only fears you because you protect him. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and so that his herds are spread throughout the land. But now, but but now, God, but now, God, Satan says, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your 
face. Verse 12 says, the Lord said to Satan, well, very, very well, very well then. Everything he has, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, don't you lay a finger. Then Satan went from the presence of the Lord. And what Job began to experience in verses, uh, in chapter 19, verses 1 through verses 24, was indeed Satan touching his stuff. Why was Satan touching his stuff? Because the Lord asked Satan, asked Satan have you considered Job? So for all of Job's talk, thinking that God indeed had struck him down, they blaming God for the family who turned against him, for the, the, the servants who would no longer uh, follow his orders, for his friends that he seemed that seemed to be down pressing him even more. For all of that, what was actually happening was Job was being considered. Could it be? Could it be that some of the circumstances and the situations that you find yourself in, that God has indeed removed the hedge of protection around you because you are being considered? Could it be that he's allowed, allowed Satan to touch your stuff because you, ma'am, sir, are being considered? Could he allow all your friends to turn against you, all the employees of the, of the company that you own to disrespect you? Could it be, ma'am, sir, leader, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, that you are being considered, considered. You are being considered. And Job's first response, his first response, verse 20 says in chapter nine, at this Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and he worshiped and he said, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked, I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all of this and everything that Job lost, Job verse 22 says, did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He did not curse God to his face as Satan thought that he would had the hedge be moved around from around him. He did not do. While he was upset, while he felt like he lost everything, he did not curse God to his face as Satan had thought that he might. What is coming out of our mouths when we reach a place of hardship? What is coming out of our mouths when we feel as if the younger generations don't respect us as Job felt? What is coming out of our mouths when our spouses could come out and can say, just, just leave God alone, just curse God and die. When our spouses leave God, what is your response to God? What is your response when you when you when you break out in an illness and a sickness? What is our response when we are being considered? 
when we are being considered. See, because we have to, we have to consider the different circumstances and situations that we deal with day by day. Moment by moment, we can find ourselves dealing with things that make us uncomfortable, that make us feel betrayed, that make us feel friendless, familyless, homeless, just left just left and abandoned. We can deal with those situations every day, but we have to pause in the midst of the situation, in the midst of the chaos, as it were, and listen for the still small voice of God when he's only trying to tell us, you are being considered. You are being considered. It is a it is a it is an almost an innate instinct to jump to the defense of oneself. It is an instinct to jump to your own defense. To so I'm not I'm not shooting you down that you that you that you came back with a fight because I'm one you back me into a corner. I'm coming out swinging. I'm coming out swinging. I'm one that I will not I will I I will not let my thoughts my choices be dictated to me. I waited too long to be an adult to be able to make my own choices, to let the choices be dictated to me by anybody who doesn't answer to the name God. Okay, so I understand how you feel. But what I'm saying to you is that sometimes that instant reaction is not the best course of action. Not in the middle of the trial, not in the middle of the temptation, not in the middle of friends turning away, not in the middle of family turning away. Sometimes, sometimes it is better to hold your peace. Hold your peace. If family turns away, open the door for them. If mother, father, sister, brother, spouse leaves God, open the door and let them go. Let them go. Somebody's not treating you the way you know you deserve to be treated. Let them go. Let them go, but keep your mouth closed. Do not charge God with any wrongdoing. Do not. Now, listen, let's be clear. There are some situations that we walk head on into. That is not, that is not God moving the hedge of protection around you. That is not Satan touching your stuff. That's you stepping past the boundaries that God has set for you. And when he set those boundaries for you, you decided to walk across those boundaries. So you get what you got. And so you can't get mad at God and you can't even get mad at Satan because Satan's sitting there. We blame the enemy for so much. And he's sitting there looking like, I ain't even thinking about you. I'm over here messing with the person that God told me would, 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 that I could touch. He didn't tell me I could touch you. That's you touching you. That's you doing that. Sometimes we move too fast with our own choices and our own decisions, and we don't wait to hear from God. And when it fails, when it collapses, when they leave us, when they walk away, then we're angry. We're wondering why we're alone. We're like Job and everybody has left me and the younger generation don't respect me. And my family has walked away and my family has mistreated me and my spouse has left me and my spouse won't even talk to me. We, we blame all of this on God, but we never pause. We never pause. We blame it on God or the enemy and we never pause to say, wait a minute. Was that me? Did I do that? 
get like Urkel. Did I do that? Was that me? Did I, did I, did I literally open the door for that to happen? Was that really my choice? Well, did I really set myself up for that? See, because Job, while Job didn't accuse, uh, didn't accuse God of and, and curse God, while he did not do that, he was sure enough mad at everybody else. He was mad at everyone else. And like I said, I wonder, I wonder what would have happened had Job had Job realized that he was being considered. Had he realized that he was being considered, he was being considered. Job uh, two and one says, on another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan, he also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan said, I was Roman. So Satan had nothing better to do. So he showed up to God like, surely you got somebody I can torture. Surely you got somebody that I can try and get to turn away from you. Surely you're willing to move that hedge off of somebody. He showed up just on a hope alone, on a hope alone that God would give him an opportunity to turn someone from light to darkness, just from light to darkness. But Job was not willing to turn away completely from God. How many of us because of situations and circumstances that we have dealt with in our life have indeed turned away from God? We've decided it's not for us. We've decided that God is not real. We decided that God cannot provide for us. We decided that God cannot rescue us. We've decided it's God's fault that we are even in that situation. How many of us, because there are some that have turned away from God. I asked God to heal my mother. She died. I don't serve God no more. I asked God to heal my father. He died. So I don't serve God no more. I asked God to give me a spouse. I've been waiting 20 years. God hasn't done it yet. I'm going to go find him on my own. How many? I came from an abusive rest, uh, relationship with my spouse and God allowed me to marry him. How could God allow that to happen? I'm out. I don't trust God. I was raped by my uncle, cousin, father, sister, and brother. And I don't believe God let them do that to me. I'm going to walk away from God. I don't want God in my life. God didn't save me. God didn't keep me. God didn't rescue me. How many of us are blaming God today? Blaming God today for something that God did not permit, did not, did not, did not, he didn't even in your case, remove the hedge of protection, protection from around you. The, the spirits of perversion had infiltrated the family line. It was the spirits of perversion that, that moved in on you and sought you as prey, but that wasn't God. God is still holding his hand, extending his hand towards you saying, come to me. I can heal you. Come to me. I can rescue you from those thoughts in your mind. Come to me. I can rescue you from that abusive spouse. Come to me. I can heal your sickness. He still is asking. I reminds me back in the day. Can he, can he, can he stand a chance? Can you give God a chance? Can you give God a chance. See, because Job was fought on every end. He had friends coming and sitting down with him and talking to them and basic to him and all but one basically accusing him of some wrongdoing. You must have done something that God has allowed this to happen to you. How about if you did nothing? And how about if God simply removed the hedge of protection around you? How about if it was your experience? God wants you to use that for experience to deliver another. 
How about that? How about we not accuse God for for situations and circumstances that we deem out of our control that he should have rescued us from? that we believe he should have rescued him, us from. You made it out. How do I know you made it out? You're listening to the sound of my voice right now. You, ma'am or sir, have made it out of it. You have made it out. You have made it out. If only in your mind you have made it out and that's enough to walk away. That's enough to walk away. If only in your mind you've made it out. That's enough to walk away away. That is enough to walk away. Job's wife said to him, listen, why don't you just curse the God and die? And it was something because when I saw that, I was like, wow, she could just say that like him, say that like that to him because she'd already, she'd already gravitated towards that thought and took on that thought as her very own, that she could regurgitate it right to him that easily. She'd already made a decision. We, we're going to curse God and die. Come on, Job, let's do this. Because God doesn't care about us any longer. And Job replied to her, you're talking like a foolish woman. Now, there are some that can be in the middle of the circumstance. And you'll hear the enemy, whether through your spouse or whether the enemy is speaking to you directly or through your friends, that will give you hints or encouragement to move away from God. That's not working. Move away from godly people. They're not working for you. Their advice has never panned out. It has never manifested into any good. There are some that will hear that voice and they can still say, they can still say, they can still affirm you're foolish. I might, I might be out here tricked up, got into a mess, don't know how I'm get out, going to get out. But what I will not do, there are some who have determined, but I will not leave God. I will not let anything separate me from the love of God, not even my own choices. I'm going to take me and my bad choices back to God. I'm going to take me and all my bad decisions, the decisions that haven't panned out, I'm going to take them to God. Why? Because God promised that everything would work together for my good. So even my bad choices, hear me, people of God, even your bad choices will work to benefit you. Every rape, every molestation, every drug uh, addiction, every alcohol addiction, it's going to work for your good. I don't care if you're listening to me high right now of alcohol or of drugs. I am speaking to your spirit man and I'm telling you that everything that you have been through, I see you crying in the corner right now because you're in a situation where you're being molested. It's going to work for your good. All things are going to work for your good. If you're under the sound of my voice, you got the strength to walk away right now. And I promise you, help is waiting on the other side of that door. Help is waiting to rescue you on the other side of your door. Neighbors are waiting to rescue you on the other side of that door. Walk away. You've walked away in your mind. Now get to stepping in the natural because help help, 
help, has an open arm, and is waiting for you right now. See, Job, when he responded to his wife, he was like, you are like a foolish woman. In verse 10, he said, shall we accept the good from God and not the trouble? And all this, Job did not sin. And what he said, there are times when things are great. We know people that are like that. Everything is great and going well, and they're hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. And then soon as something doesn't go quite the way they expected, they shut down and they want to turn around and walk away from God. But Job said, listen, I, we, I'm not going to accept the good from God. I had good from God. I had cattle. I had wives. I had healthy children. I had healthy, obedient servants. I had a home. How can I accept that from God and then want to walk away from God when things are not going the way that I think they should? When things, wife, are going bad, he said. Why should I walk away from God now? And then his friends show up in verse two, in chapter two, verse 11, his three friends, Eliaphaz, the Timonite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite, they heard about the troubles that had come upon him. So they left their homes they met together in agreement and they wanted to go and sympathize with him. They just wanted to be there. They wanted to comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they didn't even recognize him. They couldn't recognize them, him. They began to weep aloud, verse 12 says, and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Then verse 13 says, they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. They simply saw how great his suffering was. And verse 26, uh, Job said, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Yes, those of us, we know that, yes, it can get like that in God. On this side of the cross, it can get like that. That sometimes you're bombarded with situations and circumstances that are out of your control, and seemingly you have no peace. There is no quietness. You cannot rest. You cannot sleep. You have only turmoil. And it seems as if when Job's friends came and they sat there with him, it went downhill from there. It went down here from there. It makes one think how many times have we opened our mouths and in our own words, they betray us. See, because Job was sitting there feeling, feeling no peace, no quietness, no rest. But his friends came and they sat there with him for seven days. And then he started to talk. Then he started, then they started talking. Then he decided to respond. How many times have we opened our mouths and betrayed our own confidence? How many times? See, we speak those words without understanding the, we, the words go before us. And so when we run into the brick wall of our own words, of our own words, now we're astonished. Now we're astonished. So it begs the question, what's wrong with silence? What's wrong with separation yet together? What's, under, what's, what's wrong? What makes us feel like, like, the, like a gap, like a silence? It's so horrible. What makes us 
feel? What is it that causes us to respond in situations where we're speaking words out, not understanding those words are going before us and building that wall? And then when we collide with it, then we're in a worse, worse scenario than we were if we would have just been quiet, just been quiet. And this is not the quiet that I talked about before when I figured out that I could say more with silence, not that quiet because my mind isn't even working. I'm talking about complete silence where we just allow, allow silence to fill the space and be okay with that silence. It is our own words that sometimes make us an enemy of God. It's our own words. It's our own words sometimes that make us an enemy of God, an enemy of Jesus, an enemy of Jesus, and an enemy of the cross when, when they're spoken, when we're just being considered, when we're just being considered. Are we speaking words of rejection out of our circumstances over ourselves when in fact God is speaking acceptance? Sometimes when we're talking, we're talking so much so fast that we don't even realize that the words that we're speaking are opposing what God is saying about us. We're speaking words that are opposing what God is saying about us. We're talking about rejection. God's talking about acceptance. We're talking about wealth. We're talking about poverty. God is talking about wealth. We're talking about, um, I don't understand and I don't know why. And God is talking about comprehension. The Holy Spirit is teaching understanding. We're talking, we're putting words out before us that we're colliding with. And then we're wondering why we're getting knocked on our tails. See, because sometimes we speak those words so fast and there's so much that when we hit them head on, it knocks you, knocks you right down. It knocks you right down. Could it be that we are not hearing God? Could it be that we are not seeing God like we think we are? I admonish you today, and what I'm trying to do here is challenge, challenge the words that you allow to come out of your mouth. It is far better to stop, think about it, think about what you're about to say, and then speak than it is to just talk. One thing I do not prefer, I do not like, and I try to stay away from is idle conversation. I don't like idle conversation, not even in my own mind. Why? Because when you're talking just to be talking, you're eventually going to say something that God is not saying. It is very easily, I promise you, I've done it several times. It is very easy to speak words forward and run into your words and get knocked down. Your own words have knocked you down. Your own words of rejection have knocked you down. Your own words of sickness have knocked you down. Your own words of lack of understanding and blindness and friendless and not being accepted have knocked you down. You spoke them. You spoke them. And you got to know that you have the power, power in your mouth to speak life or death. Some of us are speaking death over our own selves, over our own careers, over our own companies, over our own children, over our own spouses, over our own situations. 
Because it's not God speaking it. And the enemy ain't paying you no mind. The enemy is not paying you no mind. And see, you got to understand, this is why sometimes God cannot hear our prayers. We, he can't hear our prayers because we've spoken so many words out of, out of anxiety, out of anger, out of loneliness. We've spoken so many words that we've spoken words that are opposing to the word of God. And then we want to go to God and pray. Pray the words that we've spoken that are opposing his words. See, we got to realize it's only God's word that does not return to him void. It's only his words that don't return to him void. So when we're praying to God, we pray back his words to him, his promises to us back to him. And when we speak, we should be speaking that which God has ordained for our lives. Don't speak the enemy's words to our lives. See, because it's one or the other. You know, I'm black or white. Prophetess, prophets, we're black or white. It's either we're saying what God is saying or we're not. So if we're not, we're saying what the enemy is saying. See, the worst thing, the worst thing we can do is get the enemy to, to get us to speak his words out of our mouths. That's the worst thing we could do is to get the enemy to tell us how rejected we feel to the point we, we give voice to it. And then we wonder why we reject it. Well, you said you were. And you wonder why you're sick. You said you were. You wonder why your children won't come to know God. You said they wouldn't. You want to know why your spouse won't come to know God. You said that. You said they won't come to God. You said that. You got to think about these. Think about what you're saying and make sure it aligns with God. Your spouse, your children, your healing, it's all in your mouth. It's all in your mouth. We have to be careful what we are speaking. Our words have to come from a place of surety, a place of security, and they have to come from confidence, from a place of confidence. Otherwise, there are empty words prayed amiss. How many of us out there can honestly say that in times past, we have not experienced praying amiss, meaning praying and it looks like God is not answering our prayers. It looks like God has not heard us. It looks like God has not moved on our behalf. And it looks like God has not provided for us. With James 4, 1 to 3, it says, he asked them, he said, what is it that, that's causing all these quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire to have, you desire, but do not have, so you kill. You kill yourself with your own mouth. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Verse three says, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. I.e., you ask, you ask with the wrong motives that you may spread whatever it is you're asking for amongst your own pleasures. Just because that's what you want. You want healing so you don't have to ensure pain. You want wealth so that those that mistreated you can see that God has blessed you in spite of them. You want a platform to lord it over those that wouldn't share theirs with yours. Why are we asking God for the things that we are asking God for? Why are we asking God for the things that we are asking God for? Let me give you another example. Go to Romans 11. Romans 11 and 1. It says, I did ask then. I did ask then. 
And this is Paul talking. I did ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Verse two, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Don't you know what he says? And then it says in verse three, Lord, He's saying what Elijah said, because Elijah thought, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. This is what Elijah thought. How many of us have been in a predicament that has been so stressful and so, and so, so, um, seemed like you were the only one left standing. Come on, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, teachers. You thought you were the only one teaching the truth. Prophets, you thought you were the only one that prophesied the truth. Apostles, you thought the only one, you thought you were the only one in the territory. Pastors, you thought you were the only one that pastored the people according to God's presence. Evangelists, you thought you were the only one that could rescue the people of God. So he went through a phase, Elijah went through a phase because of what he had just encountered. He was tired, he was stressed, and because of what he was encountering, he felt as if God, they killed all your prophets. I'm the only one left. That's what he thought. But why did he feel that way? He felt that way because of what had happened with Jezebel. He felt that what had he felt because she had said to him, now listen to this. He went and he gave the word that God told him to give. And first uh first Kings and 19, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how Elijah had killed all her prophets with the sword. So she went sending about her messages, saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow. Tomorrow, I do not make your life like the ones that you took. I'm, I'm going to make your life like that. In other words, I'm going to kill you. So that made Elijah, he was afraid. He ran for his life. Then he came to Beersheba in Judah and he left his servant there. And while he was journeying into the wilderness, God provided for him. God provided for him. And he said to God, I'm the only one left because he was afraid and because he had just ran for his life. What are we saying in fear? What are we saying when we feel like we're running for our lives? When we feel like the enemy has the advantage over us? What are we saying? What are we saying to God? How are we talking to God? How are we talking to God? Because I'm telling you, when I hear I'm the only one left, I'm the only one here, I'm the only one in the region, I'm I'm the only one, I, 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 and I, first thing that comes to my mind is the scripture. Somebody's afraid. Somebody's tired. It's a thing. I felt it before. It's a thing to be fearful. It's real. It's real to be fearful. It's, it's, it's real to be tired, to be exhausted after you have done what God says to do. And now you're threatened. Now you're the outcast because you said what God told you to say. Now you're the one being threatened. Now you're the one that's the outcast. How about this? Now you're the witch. Now you're the warlock. And you know you said what God told you to say. Now you're fearful to open your mouth again because the feeling of death 
is a real feeling that you care not to experience again. So you look to God and say, they're trying to kill me. And I'm the only one left that's still telling the truth out of your fear and out of your tiredness. See, see what Elijah thought was happening it was real. He was in the same, those, those feelings, that emotion, him being fearful, him being tired, that is real. There are, if you're a real prophet or prophetess, you know I'm not lying, that you will say what God is saying, and next thing you know, they're out to kill you. For telling the truth, you become the enemy because you told the truth. Now you have you're in a stance, a position of defense, but yet you're fearful. Like they might kill me. They might actually kill me. They're killing my name. They're killing my reputation. So it's very real. It's a very real feeling. But even though, even though Elijah felt that he alone was the only one left, even though he felt that she was going to succeed in taking his life. What actually was happening in verse four and what God answered to him was, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, verse six says, they then it cannot be based on work. If it were grace and no longer, if it, if it were grace would no longer be grace. So you think, so you think what then? What verse seven says, what the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. Elect, um, the elect among them did, but the others were Hardened. They were hardened. Then verse eight, it says, is as it is written. And I am in, where am I at? I am still in first Kings 19. And it says, um, verse seven, what then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. And then it says in verse eight, God gave them the others did not that that the others did not attain a spirit of stupor. So those that did not obtain the knowledge of Christ, they were given a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And then in verse 11, it says, again, I ask, did they stumble? so as to fall beyond recovery, not at all. Rather because their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make, the Israel, to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and the loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? And then verse 13, it says, I am talking to you Gentiles in as much I am talking to the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my people to envy and save some of them for their rejection brought reconciliation to the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? What will your acceptance be of being, of being chosen? What will your acceptance be of being considered but life from death? 
if we would just allow, just allow, allow God to do a work in us. See here, what's being pointed out to us in First uh, in Kings 19, what's being pointed out, out to us is there was a choice given. There was a choice given. And when the choice was given to receive a knowledge and understanding of God, and when that choice was rejected, they instead received a spirit of stupor, a spirit that could not understand, a spirit that could not understand. So where I'm going is there are people today that because of their own mouth are caught up in situations and circumstances that God only meant, only meant to bring them to a place of consideration, to bring them to a place of consideration. However, because of the situation and the circumstances, they were tempted to curse God and die. Rather than, rather than curse God and die, they made a decision. These are the people that I'm talking to now. You've made a decision. You've made a decision that though God slay you, those situations and circumstances come upon you even suddenly that you will not abort the promises of God. You will not abort the relationship of God. You will not abort the knowledge and the understanding of God you have, but you understand that those are there are those around you have, that have decided. They have made a decision to abort it altogether. They made a decision as Job's wife did to curse God and die. They've made that decision. And to them is the spirit of stupor. To them is a spirit that they will never understand. They will never comprehend God. And the choice is yours to walk away. The choice is yours to stand for the promises of God. And guess what? And guess what? You can't look at them badly. You don't have to give them your words. You don't have to give them anything but the respect of the lack of your presence. That's all you owe them. Why? Because we must remember, as the scripture tells us, as we go further down to verse 21, that even though you are now grafted in, to be a part of the body of Christ Gentiles, even though you are grafted in to what the Israelites, to what Israel did not want, to what Israel put aside, even though you were grafted in, if they change their mind and decide to believe they can be regrafted back in into the tree of life. They can be regrafted just like you were grafted in. So you have no need to be pious. You have no need to be arrogant because you've made it through situations and circumstances and you still trusted God. And maybe they fell by the wayside because they weren't, they just weren't clear that God was with them. Be careful how you treat those, how you treat those that for a moment forsake their relationship with Christ. Be careful how you treat those that for a moment, because of situations and circumstances, bombarding their mind, bombarding their person because of what they're dealing with, that they that they shy away from a relationship with God. They shy away from wanting to be around God. They shy away from the church, as it were. They shy away from Christian relationships, as it were. Be careful how you treat those people because the word of God tells us in verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. He will not spare you 
either. So just because some of us have made it through different situations and circumstances, and we did not curse God and die, we recognized it as a as being considered, and we chose to sit patiently and learn from our experiences and learn from the lessons that were being presented from us past the test, as it were. That doesn't mean that we throw away those that have walked away. Because it might be a temporal, a temporary walking away. They may turn back to God at any moment now because they may realize if they're under the sound of my voice, they may realize, oh my God, I was only being considered and I left everything. I cursed God and, and, and I'm in a position of death because I walked away from my relationship with God. But guess what? I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind and I'm coming back to God. I'm coming back to that drawing place. I'm coming back to that place place of relationship. I'm coming back to that place of healing. I'm coming back to that place of knowledge and understanding because I understand now that God was only considering me. It was, I was only up for consideration. That's why the enemy was permitted to touch my home. That's why the enemy was permitted to touch my job. That's why the enemy was permitted to touch my stuff. That's why the enemy was permitted to touch my life. And what am I saying to you? It's not too late. If you turned away from God, if you because of situations, circumstances, people, if you turned away from God, if you turned away, I'm here to tell you, you are only being considered. You can turn around now and come back to God. He still has an extended hand towards you for he was only considering you. He was only considering you when you were rejected and your friends walked away. He was only considering you when your family walked away. He was only considering you. He was only considering you. He was only considering you. Can we give God a second chance? Can we give God a second chance? After all, he's giving you a second chance. He's giving you every opportunity. How do you know that? Because you woke up this morning, because you have breath, because you're walking, you're talking, you still have your job, you still have your health, you still have your children are healthy, your spouse is healthy, your friends are healthy. He's giving you a second chance. He's giving you a second chance. Why not consider Consider returning to God today. Why not consider giving God an opportunity to heal you today? Why not consider giving God, giving God, giving God? Why not consider God? Why not consider giving God you? Why not consider it? But after all, he's going to work everything that you've been through, everything that you've gone through. He's going to work it together for your good. He's going to work it together for your good. There is nothing that will be wasted. There is nothing that will be wasted. You've got a testimony now. Why? Because you have experience now. You have experience. You have patience. You have hope. You are not ashamed of what you've been through. You are not ashamed of your situation or your circumstances. You are not ashamed of what you come through. You don't have to be ashamed because God himself considered you. He considered you. 
Come on, can you put that down? Can you break that down in your mind? Can you put that in your chat? God has considered me. He has considered me. There is nothing. There is no problem that I have, no situation that I've dealt with, no circumstances that I find myself in that God cannot rescue me from because I'm of his consideration. I am of God's consideration. He protects me. He leads me. He guides me. He strengthens me. I am being considered. I am being considered. So I don't have to have misconceived motives. I don't have to let my misconceived motives drive me to run away from God, to speak against God, to curse God and die. Yeah, I move away from that place of death. I know I made that decision, but I changed my mind. I changed my mind. God, we pray right now. We pray right now with hands lifted up. We pray right now for those who have changed their mind. Strengthen them today, God. Open the door of escape for them right now, God. Make a way of escape for them right now, God. We thank you, oh God, that the door is open and the helping hands are open to receive them, God, in your name for your sake. Thank you for rescuing your people, God, from the pit of hell, from the pit of enemies, from the pit of family. Thank you for rescuing them, God, from those that choose to abuse and use them. Thank you for rescuing them in their mind. Thank you for rescuing them in the natural. God is pulling you out right now in the natural. Angels are rushing in to pull you out of every situation, to pull you out of every circumstances. Why? Because God has a plan for your life. He has considered you. He has considered you. Make haste, make haste, make haste, make haste, make haste, make haste. God has considered you. Run, God says, run for your life, run for your life, run for your life. I have considered you. I have considered you and I am rescuing you this day from the hand of the enemy. The Lord God placed a blood covered hedge of protection around you now, a fence around your mind, a fence around your belief, a, sense of, a fence around your knowledge, a fence around your understanding. The Lord God placed around you, a fence around your eye gates, a fence around your ear gates, a blood-covered fence, a hedge of protection around you, surrounds you now. Angels are surrounding you now. They're carrying you to a place of safety. They're carrying you to a place of safety. They're carrying you to a place of safety. I decree and declare your place of safety has been established. It has been established. Come on, say it. My place of safety is established. My place of safety is established. In the arms of God. In the arms of God, I rest. In the arms of God, I rest. In the arms of God. In the arms of God. In the arms of God. I thank you so much for listening on this evening. Tune in on next Monday at 7 p.m. There will be a word from the Lord. I thank you for joining me. I thank you for joining me. And just know I'm praying for you. I'm praying for each and every person, the sound of my voice. I'm praying for you and your families. May the Lord God keep you. May the Lord God keep you and may he bless you.